wonderful Facebook people from Bill Boggs's page and my page. Come on in. Hey, there's Bill Boggs over there, you everybody. Yes, we know Bill Boggs. He's a living legend. Oh, oh I don't know God. about that, please. I'm living. <laughs> Let's just say I'm living. Leave it at that. That's a real feat right now. <laughs> so many so many people <laughs> aren't. Yeah. Oh my have you been touched with COVID in your area? Personally? Well, I happen to be in a little place called Florida right now, and touch would be like we've been hit with a sledgehammer, but we're and we're just being as careful as we can, you know. What, yes. what can we do? Except yes. be as careful as possible. Yes. Wear a mask, I, you know. Don't go, don't do anything that you don't need to do. Exactly. Bill Boggs, I want to do your introduction. I don't know how much of it you want me to say. There's so much about you. You're such you don't Thank like, you. yes, you don't like being called a legend, but to me, you're a legend. You've done it all. You started with two coworkers at a job, went into show business and promoted them. Yeah, Wrote, they, were, they were a comedy team that ended up, Pat, Tom Patchett and Jay Tarsus are still alive. And they went on to write for Mary Tyler Moore, Bob Newhart and Muppet movies and, uh, Let's see, Buffalo Bill series. The um, ALF was created by Tom Patchett. Days and Nights of Molly Dodd. They did all that material. And when I worked with them, they were a performing comedy team who were my co-workers and I helped launch their career and produce comedy. So I, 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 the book that we're gonna talk about really goes back to my roots in comedy. The very first four years of my career was spent in comedy. Meeting oh people gosh. like, George Carlin and Pryor and, and some of the greats of, of essentially the late 60s. Yes. Back in the beginning, you went from promoting them, working for TV shows in Philadelphia. I mean, you graduated from a prestigious school, UPenn Annenberg School, right? Yeah, but it was easy to get in back then. Now I couldn't even get into the West Palm Beach Junior Community College, I assure you. But I was somehow <laughs> able to get in. And unlike a certain person we know, I actually took my own SATs to get into Penn. Did it myself, <laughs> right? Chalk one up for you on that. Boy. Not that I wouldn't have paid anybody. I didn't have the money. Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> You've, you've started different shows that never existed until you started them. You had the first talk show. Well, no, I didn't have the first talk show, but I had, I had a, a show that when I had, the first show I had was in, I mean, it was a talk show in, in Philadelphia. It was on once a week, McLean and Company. And then I went down to North Carolina for three years and had a show called Southern Exposure with Bill Boggs that had all manner of guests. I mean, big name guests could, would come by and do a little syndicated show in the South because we didn't have morning shows like, like the Regis show at that time, you know. So uh, I, I benefited from a period of time when local television or local syndicated television, which I was on, really could get major guests. And a lot of the interviews that I've done or portions of them 
uh, have survived because I saved tapes in some cases. Most of the shows were live. And so if you go to Bill Boggs TV on YouTube and you're a fan of Jerry Lewis or Yul Brenner or Natalie Wood, just to name three, Sean Connery, I, a lot of people. Uh, you'll, you'll see interviews with them. So my interviews on Bill Boggs TV go all the way back to 1969 and as recently as a, uh, a week ago with Alan Zweibel on my podcast, Trap Live. Trapped Live. I looked at your interviews and Natalie Wood, oh my goodness sakes, you got Natalie Wood, you've got, like you said, Richard Pryor. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But they, everybody who came through when they say you got them, they wanted to be on the show because they were just like me promoting my book. They wanted to promote something. And that was always the quid pro quo. In fact, it, to a fault, because um, sometimes the, I, I, I once met Lauren Bacall. Oh, my hobby happens to be name dropping. <laughs> I once met Lauren Bacall at the, at the Tony's where I was a voter. And anyway, she said, gee, I watched your show. I'd love to come and be on the program. So the next morning, I was so excited that this actress, Lauren McCall, who had a tremendous career, had been married to Humphrey Bogart, been married to Jason Robarts, would come and do the show. But the producers wouldn't let her on because she didn't have anything to plug. And I, I include that in one of the many, I, I want to got to talk about the book for a little bit. Let's do that. I, I, the book involves a talk show host like me and his dog, Spike who become big stars. And a lot of the things in the book about television, the media are complete satire, but based on truth that we actually had major guests who couldn't get on the show because they didn't have anything to plug. Meaning that just the value of talking to a guest, right? Was not worth it unless the guest could say, well, I wrote a book. And that was in my opinion, quite stupid, quite stupid. Yes. I, I send that up in the book. I'm holding the book upside down like the Trump held the Bible upside down. Oh, it <laughs> it's the Adventures of Spike the Wonder Dog as told the Bill Boggs. It's uh, published by Postal Press. It's the most recent review. That uh, wasn't a major magazine. It was Pet Lifestyles magazine. Nevertheless, they said, we'll have you rolling on the floor laughing. So, uh, and Winston Groom, who wrote, wrote Forrest Gump, highly original and hilarious satire. So if you like dogs, you like to laugh, and you need a summer read, The Adventures of Spike the Wonder Dog. That's my official pitch. I love it. And Spike was a real dog of yours that you had. And yeah, he takes on your... He takes on your personal... He, he's, the, he's the speaker in the book. Yeah, it's... It, it's um, Winston Groom, who I just mentioned, wrote Forrest Gump, said that Spike is fiction's funniest canine. I mean, there have been a lot of dogs in fiction, going back to Call of the Wild, The Dog's Purpose, uh, the, uh, the Art of Racing in the Rain, uh, and so forth. But the character we have here in The Adventures of Spike the Wonder Dog is the funniest of the lot, according to the critics. So the funny dog. You have been written up for this book in so many different places. I was going through the list, Wall Street Journal, New York Times. I mean, it doesn't get better than this, Bill Boggs. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Well, he, the, the dog narrates, uh, uh, narrates the book. And by the way, a portion of the proceeds of the Avengers of Spike the Underdog going to go to animal rescue organizations. Because one of the things that happens 
is Spike gets kidnapped in the book and disappears and disappears. We have to read it to find out what happens at the end. No, I'm not, I'm not, I can't give away what happens. So I'm assuming that the dog is taking on all the responsibility and the wonder of becoming famous. You aren't. <laughs> You're not dealing well, with it. The dog has to cope. Yeah, Linda, part of part of the story is about the price of fame and the value of the value of big time fame versus small time uh, accomplishment. Uh, so I mean, there's, there's an underscore in it. It's also a love story between a man and an animal. I mean, look look how much we love our animals. We love our pets, and uh, uh, dog stories are really popular. I I just hope mine can enter the mainstream and uh, make people laugh. You know, that's been my goal. My goal is not oh I got to make a fortune. I just want people to read the book and enjoy themselves. And it's available in Kindle, uh, middle of next month. It's going to be an audio version. It's available in hardback. Just go to orderspike.com, go to Amazon, The Adventures of Spike the Wonderdog, if you want to laugh. I challenge you, you will laugh, you will laugh. I'm going to buy it. I'm going broke fast doing these interviews. This is like my 424th interview, and I think I buy something from every fifth person. Well, that's the kind of host we like. <laughs> yes, I tell you. They can see me coming a mile away, but... I'm a huge fan of yours. So Thank to you. be able Thank to you. just talk with you, I would love to pick your brain about the interviewing you've done. It, I know that the, just real briefly, what is, when you interview, did you accidentally open somebody up and they said something that you had no idea was gonna come out of their mouth that was like, oh my gosh, I can't, are you allowed to talk about that? I can, I can talk about anything I want. You know, the interview process, Linda, is just like you're doing. You're a very good interviewer. You're just talking. We're having a conversation. I think that more energy is projected, you know, because you know you're on television. You know people are watching, right? Um, but I, the technique essentially that evolved with me was just getting the guests to relax and, and open up. I can't, honestly, in all the thousands of interviews, recall any one shocking thing that I quote, got someone to say, I'm sure that, that they exist, but no one ever asked me that question before. I don't have an answer for it. It's wonderful. So how many years of your life did you dedicate to writing this book, The Adventures of Spike the Wonder Dog? Well, I think that the whole process took about three years, including writing it, the first draft, and then having eight people read the first draft. Uh, and give me feedback. And when I got the feedback that every eight people said, and I said, I, I want you to be brutally honest. They said, no, they said, Bill, this is funny. I really enjoyed it. I don't normally laugh out loud while reading a book. Now, th that's exact, honest truth, what people said to me. And then I knew I really had something. So I took another several months to punch it up, put in more relevant stuff as things were happening, because it's set in the present day. And uh, so I think the whole process, and then getting the book deal took some time, was about three years. Wow. Thank you for doing that. I can't wait to get my copy and read it. And I want all of you Thank listening you. to, and I've Thank posted, you. mega posted it on Facebook for people Good. to Good. entice them. I like Facebook. I've, I've connected with people whom I don't think on any level I would have uh, reconnected with. It doesn't mean I've seen them. 
But you know, when you know met somebody and worked with them like 35 years ago and they drop out of your life and then suddenly you're back and able to talk to them, even though it's just on Facebook or Messenger or whatever, I, I like that. It gives me a good feeling. I know there were a huge amount of controversies surrounding Facebook from my personal standpoint as a user, user I found it very gratifying. Me too. It's like going to a reunion every day. You can, you can look yeah. anyone up. I, I looked up a guy that ghosted me in 1966 and found him because <laughs> of Facebook. Uh, and what did you? And what did you do? Why I, anyone would have done that to you? In, I 19, know. in fact, in 1966, we didn't have the term ghosted. It was just like <laughs> he dumped me. He <laughs> dumped me. I followed him around during summer camp and he didn't even say goodbye to me. I was just like, he'd say, you want to go here? You want to go there? And then didn't even say goodbye. So I found him and said, why did now you do you that? Follow him around now too. <laughs> him <on> Facebook. <laughs> Isn't life funny? The way things turn out, you know, eventually. Uh, Linda, uh, where are you from? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Portland, Oregon. My parents survived the Holocaust. That's, wow the one that did exist, that's the one they survived. And then um, after trying to fit in in Portland, Oregon, I uh, raised a daughter, cause I like, I'm Jewish and I like to suffer. I raised a child alone and traveled a lot and did comedy everywhere, a little here in New York and California, three counties and back to Portland and now I'm in Vegas, baby. <laughs> oh, really? What, what are things like in Las Vegas now, Linda? If, if, we, if you and I, I know it's the morning there. If we yes. were to drive over to say uh, Caesars and pull up under the big portico there, the, the largest freestanding one in the world at Caesars Palace, what the, and walk inside, what would it be like uh, at late morning in Las Vegas inside Caesars now? It's about one third to one half of the normal traffic. Ooh, that's and, still a lot, that's still a lot. And I'd say probably two thirds of the people are wearing masks if they, oh, don't, they don't get caught. Masks. They don't require They masks. do inside, but that's you know. What I meant. That's what but, I meant, inside. Right, but there are those that get inside and then take their masks off, I've huh. noticed, and there's not enough security to catch it. So I live right by the stratosphere and they have to wear a mask, but then they'll, they'll find creative ways to take them off and not, and you, you can't yeah. catch them all. Yeah. But yeah, there's not that much traffic inside the casinos. I think people are really walking outside and outdoor eating and walking the strip How about, and driving. Are there any, big, any of the big shows on Linda and no. Vegas? No, the, oh. the powers that be are not allowing that yet. And there are, so as I gambling, but about the retail, like are, you see the, the gallery, you know, form of Caesars that open. Yes, that's uh -huh. open. It's been, you know, as you know, it's been very scary. These, this is something, this and having a child is something we don't get a manual for. We don't know how to make it through a pandemic and, you know, hardly. Craziest time I ever saw. I would rather raise 15 more children than go through this ever again. Well, what's the most difficult part of it for you? For me, it's being as conservative as I am, not politically. I'm not talking political. Just, I'm very conservative. If you tell me there might be a virus, I'm wearing a mask. And then the 
amount of flack you get from people for being paranoid or overly cautious, whatever they want to say. You're just standing firm that this is what I do and whatever you do, that's on you. But this is what I'm doing. I don't yeah. judge you. Don't judge me. That's the well, hardest. That's fair. We, we really should have a national mandate to wear masks because uh, it's scientifically proven it's going to help. And look, it's, it's worse now than it, it's, it's better in New York, but in the country, it's worse now than it was in April when everybody was horrified here in Florida. Something's going to have to happen or it's going to be an epidemic. People are going to be dropping over in the streets. If you have to understand exponential mathematics, you know, if we, if we had 10,000 people die yesterday, in a couple of weeks, that's going to be 20,000 people. Exactly. I, sorry to say. One, just in one day during the pandemic, I lost five fellow comedian friends. Wow. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's, it's really been well, serious, and I don't want people making light of it, you know. But no, there's no they, reason they, that people are, we've had 150,000 people die in the United States. This is, this is, uh, this is no, I know it's a comedy show, this is no joke. None, none whatsoever. I mean, there's silly things that happen in a pandemic that we can make jokes of, you know, but as far as the reality of the dying and the devastation of people's livelihoods, or if, it, if there ever was a time where we all got a grip on the fact that we could all be homeless, this would be the time that we should really get that and start loving one another, not arguing. Yeah, and laughing at one another and not being so easily offended. You know, that's why I put politically incorrect humor right there on the cover of the book. I love it. I just figured, you know, there's people are so easily offended these days. Why not warn them in advance? In the book, you might be offended by objectification of women. You might be offended by cultural appropriation. You might be offended by things I'm saying about television. You might be offended by my description of the, the current culture it could be anything, anything, you know, and then you get offended. Ah, so I'm warning you in, in advance And most people. And I did that not for commercial reasons. I did it for artistic reasons. I, I have too many comedian friends who find that, you know, they go on stage, they say one thing about their wife or something that somebody didn't like, and then they're vilified in social media the next day by one person out of 300 in the audience. Absolutely. This cancel culture is crazy. It's like, are, do we have freedom of speech? That's what it makes me wonder. Yeah. You know, I get it. If you do something really horrible, say to a woman, you should get canceled. But as far as freedom of speech, holy Toledo, I, I don't know what to make of this world right now. I, I had a joke when I go on stage. If I think the crowd is very tight, I'll say, you know, everything you say on stage has to be 100% politically correct right now, right? And well, that's, yes, up. what we're just talking about. Yeah, and then I'll say, so good night. <laughs> like, good luck. Let me know how that works for you. It's impossible to be 100% politically correct if you think about it. So the, com the comedy scene in, in Las Vegas has always been terrific, right? Absolutely. Oh, Is Carrot Tops still working Las Vegas? Unbelievable. He's been working in Las Vegas for like 25 years. My Does he ever go anywhere else? Who else? What other comedians are working Vegas all the time? Like you know, six, seven months a year. Who else? Eddie Griffin and uh, George Wallace. 
Oh, and I love George Wallace. That, those are the top ones that are always here. And then you have all the big names that come through on a regular at Comedy Cellar and at... Uh, um, I forgot the guy's name. All the big, cl the big clubs, you know, yeah. um, there's the, the man... I can't think of his name. Big Talk, Brad Garrett's comedy club, Jimmy Kimmel's. I like, Derek, I like Sinbad. You know, we did a show in the mid 80s. When I say we, my, my business partner, Richard Baker and I, brought Boggs Baker Productions called Comedy Tonight. And we, it was syndicated in 122 stations around the country on, in the, on at various times in the evening. In New York, it was on at 1230 at night. Unfortunately, opposite Letterman, but we still did okay. And we auditioned, like a lot of people you just mentioned, George Wallace was on the show, Sinbad was on the show a couple of times. Uh, let's see, who else was on? Dice Clay was on the show. Uh, Bob Saget was on the show. Penn and Teller, a lot of, we had a lot of wonderful people on that show. Penn and Teller here on Always Here. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's nice to see them. All the big names come through Vegas. I was doing work at, Harvey's Comedy Club in Portland, Oregon, interviewing the talent that would come through. And at one point I took a vacation to come to Vegas and got to meet everybody over at the Tropicana with Harry Basil's group. And I'm like, what am I doing in Portland? Everybody in Vegas is my age. Yeah. So yeah, so well, I moved here. It's tough in Portland right now. It's a good thing you're not there. Oh yeah, yeah, rough, very rough in Portland. So bad. They tore down a deer statue. I don't know. So I, they burnt up and tore down a deer, a statue of a deer. A deer? Well, you know, there's the Bambi people, the people who really have always been offended by Bambi. Bambi's, you know, father was shot, uh, or was his mother? They were, you know, a lot of a lot of Bambi's parents were shot, and they ended up with a friend named Thumper. Let's just hope the rabbit statue doesn't get torn down. That's all. Yes. I think. Yeah. How's Pinocchio else. doing? You know, the liars are offended. <laughs> the liars are offended by that nose of Pinocchio's, and the liars, people who like to lie, don't. They're offended by a Pinocchio statue. So, so it would be offensive, right? Remember Thumper. <laughs> by the way, uh, you know that Monday was National. You know that this is actually National Rabbit Week. Like these are the things that you read that stick with you. Would that I could remember. David Brooks column in the New York Times, but National Rabbit Week, this I remember. Wow. Yeah, oh yeah, that's a biggie, that's a biggie. Oh yeah, so, Linda. Tell me what you plan to do for the rest of your life. You've already left a huge legacy, a big mark, a big splash in the world, doing so much for entertainment, for news, for, your school, UPenn, must have plaques of you on the wall. You must have a whole wing over there at UPenn. What, what else do you want to accomplish when you've accomplished this much? You're saying, what will I do with the rest of my life, the north mm -hmm. and south and east and west of my life, all of that? Yeah. Oh. Yes. Okay. Uh, I will uh, continue to stay alive as best I possibly can. That was my initial goal, to beat death today. To quote um, Heinrich on Heinrich Müller on the Netflix series, A French Village, to, 
today I must defeat death. So that's my goal, one day at a time. And I'm actually serious. Say as live and healthy as long as possible is what I want to do the rest of my life. In terms of my career, I'm dedicating the rest of my life uh, to be a writer of essentially satiric satire. I'm going to write a, I'm going to start soon a sequel that's going to be called Un, uh, Spike Unleashed, The Wonder Dog Returns, and then the second volume of the Spike, what will be the Spike Trilogy. Will you hold your book up again, Bill? Sure. So my arm automatically flies up into that situation. Ah, I see. There you go. The Adventures of Spike the Wonder Dog, as told to Bill Boggs, available on Amazon. Well, let's... Oh, Save. Saved by Here the bill. I have to take care of that. <laughs> okay. Can you hear me now? That, I can that, hear you just right. perfectly. Probably cut, cut so, the phone. So I guess I'm going to, I, I need to sign off, but thank you what, very much. One, one more plug for your book, please, Excuse Bill. Me? What? Give me one more solid plug for your book, Spike the Wonder Dog. Okay. Um, the, the New York Post says, takes you on a darkly comic journey. The New York Daily News says, Spike will keep you laughing and on the edge of your seat at the same time. This one is made for the big screen. Um, Mark Elliott, the New York Times bestselling author, Bill Box has hit a home run on this highly original and hilarious satire on everything. And the great comedy writer, Thurber prize-winning author, Alan Zweibel said, so smart, witty, and inventive that I had to keep reminding myself that I didn't write it. So that's Spike the Wonder Dog, the adventure of Spike the Wonder Dog. Thank you very awesome. much, Linda. Thank you so very much, Bill Boggs. Got, let's get out and buy his book today. Thank the you, Labor of Love, Spike the Wonder Dog. Thank sweet. you so much, Bill Boggs. Love you. Yourself. Be careful. Okay. Yes, you too. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Every